I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episodes. In the red corner... We're skipping the first movie and heading straight for the sequel. Mad Mel is Mad Max, although he's not really that mad, just a bit grumpy, as you would be if you'd lost your wife in the first film. Anyway, he's trying to outwit the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller and his bunch of 'er ne'er-do-wells while attempting to save a bunch of nice people who work in a big petrol station. From 1981, it's Mad Max 2, a.k.a. The Road Warrior. In a world without gas. The Among Us rules the wasteland. I'm gravely disappointed that you wish to take the gasoline out of the wasteland. Defend the fuel. We'll never walk away! While in the blue corner, we're skipping the third movie, safe in the knowledge that Master Blaster rules Barter Town, and heading straight for film four in the Mad Max quadrilogy. Mel Gibson is out, and Tom Hardy is in as the leather-sporting loner, battling a Morton Joe and his war boys with the help of a one-armed Charlize Theron and a sickly Nicholas Holt. We're heading to Angry Street for 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. So what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Potters! You want to get out of here? You talk to me. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both doing? I miss your lovely faces. Oh, thank you. I'm all right. You know, a bit like fucking stressed and then just really calm. It's just very up and down at the moment. 
Okay. I mean, did you get your rum delivery? That was, I, I sort of, I, I feel we left last week's episode on something of a cliffhanger. So uh, did it yeah. come? Yeah, the rum did come. What did I drink last week? Oh, I drank the rum. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Just uh, straight out the bottle or as some kind of fashionable cocktail? As a fashionable cocktail, which just means there was more alcohol in my rum to oh. um, take the edge off the rum. Lovely. Mm-hmm. It's great, isn't it? Calling a cocktail a cocktail just makes it uh, makes it sort of less raw that you're having alcohol with an alcohol mixer, which is uh, <laughs> yeah. fundamentally what it is. Chris, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Alex. Um, I'm not drinking though, so I'm missing the booze. I feel like I need a rum cocktail. Mm, how long has it been now? You've not you've not been drinking for a while, have you? No, I've just been choosing not to drink during the lockdowns. So yeah, yeah I'm crawling up the yeah. wall. You see, it's great. We, we've covered everything. Now, if people aren't drinking, they're like, oh, Chris, I relate. And if people are downing rum, Vicky, that's your girl. <laughs> uh, okay. So welcome to this week's Clash as the Road Warrior takes on Fury Road. Two films which incredibly feature destructive chase sequences or were calling this week's episode Carmageddon. Love it. Uh, as uh, you know, every Clash this month is being picked by you, our dear Clash putters. Um, you've sent so many suggestions. This is our final Your Control episode. Um, so thank you for everything that you've sent in. Uh, Chris, who do we have to thank for this week's pairing? Well, we've we've had over 300 suggestions now, and there was lots of love for Fury Road. Um, various people suggested pairing it with Apocalypto, Baby Driver, Speed, uh, the first Mad Max, but Greg E emailed to say, I would absolutely love you to cover Fury Road as it's one of my favourite films in recent history, but it's difficult to pair. He suggested a few. He, he threw Children of Men in their uh, Book of Eli, The Road, but the one we liked best was Mad Max 2, a.k.a. The Road Warrior. It's a good shout. It's a good shout. I think these two these two sit well with me. I mean, I don't want to get into how uh, you and I had that discussion about maybe the Waterworld episode would have worked with Fury Road. Let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. But uh, but it would have been great. Uh, nevertheless, this is a this is a lovely second option. Uh, so the clues <laughs> were mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't let it lie. I was going to bring it up in my in, in my uh, in my bit of the podcast. But you had to go there. <laughs> yeah, Waterworld and Aquaman it never sat yeah, well with terrific, me. Terrific. <laughs> uh, right, uh, the clues were mine. Uh, the traffic in Australia makes me crazy uh, was my clue, and then Chris uh, very artfully narrowed it down from all the Mad Max films with your clue, which was Christopher. Uh, get even in capitals. Mm-hmm. Even by participating in Carmageddon. Great. Very good. Uh, so as always, the guesses uh, raced in on Twitter. We are at ClashPod on Twitter. Do join the party on there. Uh, we're also on Instagram at ClashPod. Uh, so uh, a few. Uh, there's only one that I'm going to mention that wasn't the correct answer, and that was from Paul Jordan. Hello, Paul. He said Smokey and the Bandit 2 versus Cannonball Run 2, which I am very much up for the week after we do Smokey and the Bandit versus Cannonball Run. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
an amazing fortnight that would be on the show. Uh, but the correct answers uh, came in from uh, Reese Page, Sky Blue Jono. Uh, oh, I've just remembered another one that I forgot to write down. Peter, I know you got one right. I know you got it right, Peter. I'm looking for your second name right now. Give me one second. Peter Mahoney. Peter Mahoney got it right. Can't believe I forgot that. Police Academy, favorite franchise. Uh, so, Peter Mahoney, uh, but the right answer. And this is quite a special event on the show. And the right answer came from Peter Stirrup, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but that makes him our first ever consecutive correct guesser in history, in the history of the show. Wow. Congratulations, Peter. That is Mm. quite some achievement. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Basking. Basking, Peter is now on a rock, basking in the sunshine of success. Uh, So... Do you want to do the connection section is the question. It feels sort of almost void, but let's do it anyway, I guess. Anyone? Uh, I've got minimal interest in doing the connections as that's what the two podcasts are going to be about, but feel free. Uh, It's hot. Is leather the best idea? (laughs) Is anyone thirsty? (laughs) Uh, Oil and bullets are in short supply in the future, but there is no lack of makeup and hair products. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I'm done. Great Let's, do section, the Let's do the film. Yeah. Uh, so, Vicky, you're driving us down Fury Road on Thursday, which means today Chris is behind the wheel for the road warrior. Chris, take us on a journey. A tribe live in a compound alongside an oil refinery. Mad Max wants their fuel for his car. Some people from the Burning Man Festival want the fuel for their cars. <laughs> <laughs> so Mad Max and the tribe drive the fuel away from both the compound and the festival folk. And that's the plot of Mad Max 2. That's it. That's all there is. That's literally all that happened. Yeah. I imagine uh, imagine, uh, Thursdays is going to be even shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Copy and paste. Um, So uh, when did you guys first become aware of Mad Max? Alex, let's start with you. Uh, This was the second Mad Max movie I watched. Uh, Beyond Thunderdome was Mm. my first experience of Mad Max. Uh, So I sort of watched them in the craziest order, I guess. I watched... uh, Thunderdome, then this, then the first film, and then obviously finally Fury Road. And I loved this movie when I first saw it. I must have been about 11 years old. It's ever so slightly tainted by something we talked about on the show previously, which is that I watched it. It was me. I was about 11. My little brother, probably about eight. And my uncle, uh, we were at my grand's house and my uncle was there. We've never really watched a film with him before. And the bit where the tent gets ripped off and there is a naked couple having sex underneath <laughs> was one of those everyone shift uncomfortably in their seats and don't say anything and certainly don't look at each other and just wait for the film to move on, which thankfully it does very quickly. Naked people in a movie with adults who you don't, well, any adult really when you're a kid, but especially family members, very disturbing. Very was, he disturbing. Fine, was, was he fine with everything else that happened in this film then? <laughs> Weirdly, yeah. I think I think that speaks volumes uh, about my family. Blood, gore, take it away, go for it, have fun. But the minute there's some boobs on screen, everyone feels weird. <laughs> uh, Vicky, how about you? When did, when did you first become fair, aware of Mad Max? I was always really scared of Mad Max because it makes me feel so empty inside and hollow <laughs> and and desperate. So I'm, I can't swear down I've seen Mad Max 1. I definitely haven't seen 3. I saw Fury Road, but I did see Mad Max 2 when I was young, but I honestly can't remember when or who I was with. But everything about it is familiar um, to the point where I think of this as the only Mad Max film, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't really know what happens. I know what happens in the first, but I can't picture it. 
Um, so a bit of a crap answer, but there you go. So did you, but obviously you either watched or rewatched all four films for, for the <laughs> podcast, Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Just with all the uh, the rum drinking and the homeschooling, I've had time <laughs> to fit in. <laughs> a quadrilogy, a yeah. quadrilogy. I've got a quadrilogy in me. I've, the, kids, the kids are learning. Hey, did you rewatch them all, Chris? I did, I did. I, I, oh. I wallowed in George Miller's world and I very much, I don't exactly love these films, but I love George just getting lost in this mad world that he created for a week. Yeah, that's yeah, fair enough. I bet I, I watched three of them. Um, I did. Uh, I did obviously this and Fury Road, uh, but then I watched Beyond Thunderdome uh, for pleasure because it was the first movie I watched. I skipped the first one. I've seen it a long time ago, and I remember it being quite grimy and gritty as sort of those low budget films from that era feel when mm. you rewatch them. But I mean, there's that iconic scene where he change the guy to the motorcycle or handcuffs into the motorcycle. But beyond that, I don't remember much about him. Yeah, that, and that's the end of the film. So so the difference yeah. between the first one and these three, I mean, there's lots of differences, but it's got this very grim, depressing, downbeat ending, whereas the other three sort of end on a note of positivity. I mean, for me, I first was aware of, of Mad Max through Tina Turner, that music video and that song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah. That's what kicked yeah. it off, and and that's obviously why Alex and myself sort of I think the first one I watched as well was Beyond Thunderdome because not only was it the one that came out when we were sort of old enough to watch it, it was the most family oriented one. The others were eighteens, this was a fifteen, and it was it had more of a you know it had the kids in it as well, so it was a bit more accessible. Um, they call them what they are, the Lost Boys. It has the Lost Boys. In it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and not as messed up. I think you watch that one and you think, oh, I, I can deal with Mad Max, and then you watch the other mm. two and you go, oh my god, oh god. <laughs> yeah, which is a bit of a criticism, isn't it, that some Mad Max fans level at Beyond Thunderdome, which is that it is basically the Hollywoodized version of uh, the other films, the previous two films. It's, yeah. It is very Hollywood, down to Bruce Spencer's teeth. So obviously he returns as the gyro captain. And in the movie we're about to talk about, his teeth scare the shit out of me because <laughs> they're these yellow pillars. And then you see him in Beyond Thunderdome, beautiful, beautiful pearly whites. It's, that, is the, that is a testament to how Hollywood eyes that movie is. So I've got a bit of work uh, setting up the first film and the second film. So let's talk about the birth of Mad Max because uh, George Miller, uh, who wrote and directed these films, he studied medicine uh, initially and spent two years working as a doctor. And he worked in an ER for a year and saw how much damage a car could do and was surprised that people aren't more scared of them. And at the same time, he also compared car culture in Australia to gun culture in America in terms of how dangerous people acted on the roads in Oz. Um, so he met a guy called Byron Kennedy and they decided to make films together. And uh, it's an interesting story. Mad Max goes on the first film. It was originally going to be a documentary about racetracks in Australia and how dangerous they are. And then he decided, um, to make it a fictional story about a journalist, uh, reporting on crashes. Uh, then he became a cop. Then he set it in the future, but he had to make it just a few years from now because they didn't have the budget to set it far in the future. And then oh, he I heard used- it was the um, was it not? I heard it was the other way around. I read somewhere that he was like, I only put 
a few years in the future at the start because I couldn't afford to make a, a make a movie uh, that was set in the present day because we had to <clears> film <throat> in the middle of nowhere. So because it yeah. was so desolate and they couldn't film it on an actual street, he was like, "I'll just set, I'll just set it a few years in the future. That'll explain <laughs> everything." <laughs> well, one, money was a real issue. Um, it took them longer to pull the money together to make the film than it did uh, for them to make it. He said, "We couldn't get government sponsorship because they were wanting to make movies about kangaroos and koala bears, but we wanted to make." <laughs> Hollywood action movies that the whole world could enjoy. Um, so we used the global oil crisis of 1973 as a backdrop. And uh, briefly, the plot sees Mel Gibson play uh, Max uh, Rokotansky, uh, the top pursuit man in the MFP, which is the main force patrol, uh, going after a crazed mo- motorbike gang. Um, we know he's a badass in the first film because one of the tough guys, when one of the tough guys realizes Max is on his tail, he starts crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Max kind of starts to like the chaos and anarchy on the roads. He says it's a mad circus out there and I'm beginning to enjoy it. Uh, but after he kills one of the gang's men, uh, they kill one of his in the shape of his best friend. Then they kill his wife and child, which tips Max, Max over the edge. The film ending with him killing all of them. And as I say, that's where it differs to the sequels because it sort of ends without any kind of hope. Uh, the yeah. first film. But it was a huge hit. Um, the, the, the story goes that it made over $100 million worldwide, which put it in the Guinness Book of Records as the most profitable film ever um, until the Blair Witch Project. Uh, but it might have made a lot of money, but it also broke George Miller. Um, he compared it to walking a big dog, where you want the dog to go one way and it wants to go another, and he had no control. <laughs> Can you empathize with that, Alex? Uh, he's strong for a whippet, but I could overpower him, as we discovered in the dog-human wrestling uh, arena that I've built in my back garden to get through lockdown. So uh, people bring their own dogs and they wrestle them, and uh, you know we declare a champion at the end of the day. It's great fun. Do you ever see it all? Are you like the Tina Turner auntie entity character? <laughs> I have built a canine Thunderdome, yes, in my back garden. Uh, the dogs and the owners are on these big elastic bands. They bounce around. It's quite a sight. And, mate, you've, you now you 100% have to dress as auntie entity for Halloween this year. Oh, shit. That's such a great idea. That kind of chainmail chain dress and the high heels. You'd look amazing. She's so good in that movie. The bit, the bit that I quoted earlier, where it's like, where she, where he's she's talking to Master Blaster on the thing, and he's like, "Tell him, say, say it again." And she's like, "Master Blaster rules Barter Town." And he's like, "Say it louder." And she's like, "Master Blaster rules Barter Town." So good. <laughs> yeah, I've got to be honest. Watching all four of them, part of me wishes we were doing all four. There's, there's, just so much, there's so much to say. We've got the two best films, but there, there is just so much to say. But we can we can drop bits in. Um, I, I think the one thing the one thing that means I, I love Thunderdome, but I'm glad we're not doing it because we're doing like I mean these two movies do have the best chases. And as a kid, I remember the chase at the end of Thunderdome being amazing. And watching it after rewatching this and Fury Road, it is not that good. Like the final chase in Thunderdome is really mm-hmm. quite disappointing. But it's got a train, Alex. So. It does have a train. It does have a train. You're right. <laughs> so he decided he wanted to atone for the first film because he was not happy with him. That's what drove him. And him and Byron Kennedy um, started doing some research. They, the first film had transcended borders and cultures and resonated all over the world. So they studied um, films and stories to figure out how it had worked. They kind of sort of tried to work back. They read cowboy stories, samurai stories, Knights of the Round Table. They read Carl Jung about how we all share myths and dreams across space and time. 
with stories recurring in all different cultures. And they also um, looked at Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces to research heroes and mythology to try and tap into a global collective unconscious, which is um, their start point for making Mad Max 2. Uh, so, Phil, we began... They, um... They did the, I think a sim, I think a similar thing uh, he did for Fury Road when we talk about that he although I mean he obviously done so much of that research for for this film with Fury Road he sort of wanted to make a film that almost worked without dialogue to have that universal language so that anyone in the world could appreciate it because the story was told through the action as opposed to the dialogue Yeah I mean that was what he was doing here it was Buster Keaton and Howard Lloyd were the were the other sort of touch points for him to to try and make a silent movie with sound so uh, the filming began in the winter of 81 and lasted 12 weeks in a remote mining town um, 800 miles west of Sydney called Broken Hill. And uh, it had 10 times the budget of the first film. It went up from 400,000 to over uh, 4 million. And I think the key decision was bringing Dean Semler on board as director of photography. He's a guy who had a background in documentaries, so was used to running and gunning, which is kind of how they shot these movies. And he went on to have huge success. He won an Oscar for Dance with Wolves. He did Apocalypto for Mel Gibson. And he also worked on a film that some say was influenced by Mad Max, and that is Waterworld. <laughs> Do they? Do they? What, what an interesting pairing. That would yeah, be. would have paired well with this film, wouldn't it? Don't worry. <laughs> um, oh, Fury Road. But um, George Miller was much happy with this process. He said, I felt as though I was able to achieve something much closer to my, the film in my head than I did with Mad Max. So, should we talk about the movie? Yeah, I've only got one thing. Only, only one thing to add. You already mentioned it, but I think it's quite it's, it's quite interesting. You know, he said he was like inspired by the oil crisis in Australia in the seventies. I think like the the, the one thing from that that in, uh, really like inspired him is the fact that he said he lived in a really lovely sedate town, a uh, city, uh, Melbourne in Australia, and after about ten days of there not being any oil for people and uh, no petrol for the cars. Uh, he said it just took 10 days for the first shot to be fired in Melbourne. And at that point he was like, what if it was 10 years? And that was, it was the fact that people just lost their shit within 10 days of not being able to drive their cars. Uh, that was the thing that really pushed him over the edge. And also just the influence this film has had on so many things like, I'm only saying this because it means that we're mentioning Games Workshop two weeks in a row on the show. But I had a tabletop, inadvertent commas, war game called Dark Future as a kid, which was based on the Mad Max universe. And you drove these little mini cars around this board and they had guns and they killed people. Brilliant. Loved it. And then, of course, Alex, would you be rather doing a Games Workshop podcast? Because I'm starting to get that feeling. I mean, if you, I wouldn't want to leave you two behind. So if you could commit the time, uh, I know Vicky said between, you know, homeschooling and rum drinking, she's got a window. Uh, so I, I'd love it if you could embrace the 40K universe and we could all talk about that each week. Yeah. Thoughts? Just spitballing? We'll put it on Twitter. We'll see what, we'll see what the audience wants. I would follow you anywhere. You know that. Thanks very much. And, I would and one not. final thing. <laughs> have either of you been to the burning man festival i know you oh, mentioned no, it already I would, I would absolutely love to i mean I, I think i might have missed my window a bit because i wouldn't be able to relax as much as i might like otherwise but it's something i wish i'd done when i was like 25 i, I just would have loved it so i do feel a bit sad about I've that to, i've been to that bit of glastonbury that try that's a bit like it that's the closest <laughs> i've got 
<laughs> you mean you mean the twee bit by the stone circle? That's what you mean, right? The bit where everyone's smashing up cars and and there's fire. Oh, yeah. and I know what you mean. No, yeah. No, that that was the riot that happened in the car park, Chris. Were you part of that? Because they were still looking for witnesses last week. I mean, I was off my tits. I have no ideas. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm done. Uh, so we've got Mel Gibson's name before the title now. He's turning into a movie star in front of our eyes. Um, and then we've got a bit of voiceover. Uh, interesting, there was dis- there were distribution issues with the first film in the States. It was the only territory that, that the first film didn't get widely seen. Hence, in America, it was called The Road Warrior, not Mad Max 2. And hence, we get this prologue. And apparently, the voiceover doesn't appear on the Australian prints, mm. which is... Which is fine, but I feel like that would mess up the ending a little bit, which we'll obviously get to at the end of this, where the voiceover comes back in to, to join it all up. But um, yeah, you I don't feel think- it's cheeky that they. I, I can't believe they. I mean, I, I I get why they did it, and it's good for the film that people went to see it. But if I was in America and I went to see a movie called The Road Warrior, and I paid my money and I'd sat down, and only once the movie started was I then made aware I was watching a sequel, I'd be like, "What a fucking swizz! You need <laughs> to tell me that." But isn't that the idea with all of these films? Each of them start with a recap. So you can actually start with Mad Max Fury Road if you wanted to, and you, you wouldn't actually be missing out on anything. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really interesting point that I guess we'll touch on, mm. which is the fact that the continuity in these films, and you know, especially when you've got like certain actors playing different characters, but still in the Mad Max universe. And I guess really, you know, Bruce Spence being in Thunderdome and this movie playing a similar character, but there's a huge debate as to whether he's playing the same character or not. You suddenly realise that George Miller isn't that fussed about the continuation of stories and each film can just be viewed independently of the others. Yeah, he doesn't care about the continuity of story. And actually, as I'll get to, he doesn't even care about the continuity of visuals, um, which we'll come to later in this film. But um, yeah, we're told about the world is now powered by black fuel. It's a time of chaos because the two warrior tribes went to war and burned the world up. It crumbled. The cities exploded. Brutal gangs of scavengers are on the roads. And I mean, it really, you, you said 10 years, it really does go downhill fast because we've got diners and cities and and police in the first film. That's all out the window here. Mm. Yeah. I mean, just to put it very succinctly, uh, after the boom, boom, some adapted to the new truth, uh, which is uh, from Rick Mansing the Stone, the Mad Max Rick and Morty episode, which is (laughs) really, really good. Start of season three, I think. As we've learned from lockdown, though, the first thing to go is the toilet paper, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i think i mean i think i'd like to have seen a really sort of lo-fi mad max where everyone's like we need the toilet paper and everyone's trapped in a big toilet paper factory and humongous wants to get in because he needs to wipe his bum <laughs> do you think if it was set here you know like when you in food there's like food that is like of the earth that it's from like terroirs so like uh you know a certain grape tastes a certain way because of the soil it was grown in and all of that so this film is is that for australia because if it was set here it wouldn't it wouldn't play out like that because we wouldn't care about petrol because we can't we don't have the same space and we can't envisage those huge wide open roads with thousands of miles between any humans or civilization so what would it be here what's our equivalent and all i could come up with was tea bags because there would just be a run on tea and then probably we'd all kill each other after that once the final tea bag had gone 
I'd be dead because my <laughs> missus does get tea rage when there aren't any tea bags. When there's no Earl Grey in the flat, she loses her shit. So I've seen it <laughs> firsthand. So it's a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say beer. I thought you were going to say beer, but I guess tea, tea does make no, sense. No, I think tea, yeah, because it cuts across a lot of different sort of demographics, I think. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so we meet uh, Max for the first time again, um, and he's a shell of a man. He's haunted by the demons of his past, and he's he's wandered out into the wasteland. And this is a a, a proper hero's journey. Um, watching him learn to live again, Miller says that he would he understood uh, dramatic conflict a bit better here and wanted to tell the story of a dispirited hero. Because of his personal tragedy, Max has become a burned-out closet human being, is what how Miller put it. He's a person who doesn't believe in acknowledging the human part of himself. He feels that the only road to spiritual survival is through a complete lack of emotion. But we know he's a good guy and know there's humanity somewhere in there because he's got a dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not just a dog, a dog in a bandana. Uh, and that is a very different, uh, that's a very different cup of tea. Uh, a dog in a bandana you cannot fail to love don't know what it is but you put a bandana around the dog and i'm like what a fucking great dog it's got a bandana uh, it, it, it's it, i grew up watching the littlest hobo so obviously mm. i'm a big fan of a dog in a bandana and if you haven't seen the littlest hobo uh then uh it's basically the mandalorian but with a dog so, uh, <laughs> that's the best way of describing it uh the dog was a queensland healer who the film crew saved uh, from the dog pound a day before he was to be euthanized oh. um, it, during his training it was discovered that the dog had severe trauma around cars so they had special earplugs made for him <laughs> and, and mad, Max, mad max 2 was the dog's only movie after filming end he was adopted by one of the crew members which is a lovely story, and I love that dog. But, you know, it should be question one. How is it around cars? Because <laughs> <laughs> this movie primarily, if I'm honest, features vehicles, uh, loud loud ones. Any good with them? Can You uh, You don't know. I'll take, I'll think, take I, it anyway. I don't think you can ask dogs questions. Do you think they should have interviewed him? <laughs> we have to before they enter the Thunderdome in my back garden. They have to consent. <laughs> Uh, we have to get a verbal consent to fight. And of course, this is the second time in a few weeks we've seen a dog on screen to give a Mel Gibson character humanity because it happens in the Lethal Weapon movies as well um, to sort of ground him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I love the idea that uh, you're, you're casting Mel Gibson. Does the character have a dog? He will not appear. He will not appear human unless you put a dog next to it. It's right, right, a dog in now. He's bloody nuts. Get a canine. Um, so what else is different? Um, he's wearing a leg brace now because of the accident in the end of Mad Max One. Um, although that that leg brace seems to disappear in other films. Um, he's also got some stubble, so we know he's had a rough time. Uh, <laughs> and he's desperately searching for fuel. There's a brief action scene that starts the film where we meet the chief henchman, Wes, played by our old friend Vernon Wells from Commando in Inner Space. But before we get mm. to know him, I'm going to get onto him, we meet uh, the gyro captain. Um, mm. And I feel like this is like, you know, when superheroes meet in comics, they have to fight each other. I feel like that's what happens here with Max and Gyro, that they've got to go at each other before they can become friends. Uh, he's played by Bruce Spence. I'm sensing that you're a fan of Bruce Spence here, Alex. Apart from the tea, I love him. I think he's great. I think he brings uh, he brings something to this film that I think is really missing in uh, Fury Road, uh, which is just he's 
just a lightness of touch. Like the tone of these films is obviously quite oppressive. It needs to be, but he brings some humor to it. And I think he's really great. I love him. Uh, how do you feel about Gyro Captain, Vicky? I agree with Alex. In So there's a bit where like the, um, the lighter touches. So after Max has eaten dog food out of a tin, which made me throw up a bit in my mouth, um, the gyro captain. Not that bad. Not that bad. I'm so weird about food from a tin that is cold. I can't. There's something. I can't. I don't know if something happened to me when I was young. Maybe I was forced to eat it too much or something. I don't know. Mm. I can't cope with it. I, if you gave me a cold baked bean, I would slap your face. I can't, I can't deal with oh, it. Okay. I know it's okay. weird, isn't it? So if you gave me hot dog food, I'd eat it. Mm. If I oh, that's, what, that's what I was going to ask. So it's not actually the fact it's dog food. It's the temperature of the food. Yeah, it is. Yeah, is that? Yeah, That's I don't know. Fine. Yeah. It just makes me feel really unsettled. Anyway, after that scene, Gyro Captain is like uh, he's eating a little bit of the dog food, and he did you notice he dabs his mouth with a napkin? So even though the whole world has gone to shit, he has still got that touch of civility that he's like he doesn't want to have food around his mouth. I thought that was brilliant. I, and he's wearing a, a, a scarf as well, which seems unnecessary, which yeah. uh, I think it's in the same breath. It's like, I, I think I'll put on my fancy scarf to fly my gyrocopter today. Uh, speaking of those lighter moments, there's a, in, a few, in, a, in, a, in a minute or two, the dog has a shotgun trained on the gyro captain. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how long it, could have, it must have taken them to train the dog to do that, considering um, they got it from a dog pound. But um, it's, you, you, as you say, you see there's going to be a lightness of touch here that isn't in the first film even if they are turning a dog potentially into a murderer. <laughs> um, so the gyro captain takes Max to a gas refinery in the middle of the desert and they spend about 10 minutes watching the compound through binoculars and a telescope. But I think what's interesting here is almost all this film we're seeing from Max's point of view, which actually changes in Fury Road. So when, when the gyro captain is looking through the telescope, we're looking at the gyro captain. But as soon as Max takes it, we see what Max sees. We see through the telescope. So... As I say, for almost all this film, we are seeing um, what Max sees. And this is when he sees the Marauders, um, who I think if you went to an underground club in New York in the 1980s, you'd see a lot of these characters. Yes. Yeah, or, or any club in Berlin now. Yes. <laughs> in my head. I, I imagine. No, it's not in your head. I've been there. That's what it's like. Um, this is Ber Bergheim. Yeah, you know when I accidentally went into the sex maze and then I had to leave. Uh, that's <laughs> what it's like in there. Yeah, it's not, it wasn't meant for me. Um, I figured out pretty quickly and then left. Wow, that's happened so, to yeah. us. Me and my friends in Berlin, we we ended up in a club that definitely wasn't meant for us. We stayed though. <laughs> <laughs> we stayed. <laughs> Wait, so it, but there's, so it's a, there's a sex maze because I love a maze. Um, that's what I'm picking up on from uh, from the description of that uh, that location. <laughs> Not the fact there's sex going on in it, but it's a maze because you don't find that many mazes uh, well, uh, that have sex in them. No, I don't. Oh, in, suppose... ge in, in general, not many nightclubs have a maze. I would bloody right, love yeah. a maze. That's true. I'd... Well, go. I mean, I'm sure it'll be open once all this COVID stuff has swept through. Go have a great time. The, the door policy is notoriously complex, but I'm sure yeah. a cool guy like you will get in. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, the fact that they put the sex in a maze, is that to sort of like make you like want it more? Like you can't have it immediately. It's like you have to, you have to wait to find the sex. And then no, you it. idiot. There's not just, it's because it's in the dark. So you have to feel your way around do you understand so you have to you have to feel oh. like yeah do you get it 
So you feel your way around and then yeah. suddenly, like, you know. You put your hands you, somewhere that you'd and like. You're having sex. You're suddenly having sex. You <laughs> didn't even you. plan on having sex. <laughs> yeah. you're, suddenly, you're suddenly being buggered by Lord Humongous. <laughs> yeah, essentially, essentially. So I would like to know. I'm going to use my penis to find my way around the sex. <laughs> oh, I'm having sex. Yeah, essentially, that's that's the social contract. You're allowed to use your penis. It's fine. <laughs> um, oh. Do you know, with the costumes in Mad Max, so obviously it's like BDSM inspired, but which way does the traffic go? Like, did Mad Max take inspiration from the clubs or was it the other way around? Does anybody know? I don't know. Um, I believe the costume designer just raided. There were a bunch of S&M shops near her. And so she raided them and combined it with sort of a punk aesthetic because we're talking about late 70s, early 80s. And, and that yeah. was it. Okay. Um, we've seen it. We've seen it so much since then. I mean, like you can't underestimate how influential uh, the production design and the costume design in this film have been. Like, you know, you look at anything like video games from Fallout to Borderlands. Um, you know, they're all like inspired by Mad Max too. Yeah, I think you look at it. One of the most influential movies of the last sort of forty years in terms of music videos, video games, a shit ton of crap films in the nineteen eighties all look like this. Um, mm. But yeah, so we got we got Lord Humongous, the Warrior of the Wasteland, and as you said, the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller, who's a big guy. <laughs> he's a big guy in very small shorts, and I feel like he's a bit of a precursor to Bane. Um, yeah, yeah, I wrote, um, I wrote, I wrote a, a cross between Jason Voorhees and Werner Herzog. <laughs> his, his voice is he's pure Werner Herzog. He's Scandinavian, though. He's not German. Yeah, but you watch it again. He's very much like uh, a, like if you watch it, believing he is Werner Herzog, it's very funny. So I got a bit of backstory on him. Um, apparently, George Miller says he was some kind of senior military officer, and something terrible happened to his head—an explosion or something. He was a fairly mature individual, a kind of strategist, not just a crazed hothead like his partner with the mohawk. Actually, he started out as three characters. Normally, when you're writing a screenplay, you try and condense a number of characters into one for the sake of plot and simplification. In this case, we did just the opposite. We split the archvillain into three characters. Humongous as the body, the guy with the Davy Crockett hat who loses his fingers <laughs> as the mouthpiece, and the guy with the mohawk as the crazed maniac. Uh, obviously, that is Wes with his pink mohawk, his leather chaps, with his ass cheeks hanging out. Uh, <laughs> I can't cope with it. I can't cope with seeing his his little bum flashing around during this film. Like, well, yeah, I mean, you should be grateful because initially they wanted it just like just no no material around the ass at all, and it was only when he had to get on and off motorcycles that they could see everything and so they added a strip down the middle so oh, you, weren't man. Seeing, you weren't seeing vernon wells well oh yuck it's also it's not practical he's on and off a motorcycle does it does the seat not become hot i didn't yeah i can't apparently apparently because it was um even though like it looks hot on screen it was freezing and mel gibson uh, referred to mm-hmm. vernon wells uh, and in particular his uh botox as a barometer bum because it used to get <laughs> it used to get so cold his bum would go purple like oh, literally no. purple with the cold and at that point they all got back on the bus to warm up <laughs> uh Wes has also got a mini crossbow on his wrist and there's a blonde boy on the back of his bike uh that boy's called the golden youth and there's there, there's clearly like a relationship between them which i think is quite progressive for a tes- testosterone fueled film like this, like you wouldn't have got that, that in Hollywood, that relationship. Yeah. 
That's really true. And in fact, George Miller, originally that was uh, uh, written as a female and George Miller switched it around and changed it to a man. Good. Well, nice one. Nice one, George. And we're going to, nice take, one, George. We're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we'll talk a bit more about Mad Max 2. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This week at Sukarnov. On WrestleMe this week, we talked about the worst way to accept a Hall of Fame award. They were just trying to, you suck it. You suck and then he pours milk over yourself. <laughs> what is head. this? Pouring milk over yourself is absolutely something that if you did it once in any scenario, people would never forget it. <laughs> we were just having Christmas dinner and, and like, you know, he just poured <laughs> two litres of milk over himself. Or if you're more in the mood for some awkward anecdotes, Alex shared his experience with the cast of Event Horizon on this week's Clash of the Titles. We meet Smitty, played by Sean Pertwee, a man who I bumped into in a bar having never interviewed and literally chewed his ear off, trapped him in a corner of a booth where he couldn't actually stand up and get away from me and talk to him incessantly about this film. Later on in the night, his wife said to me, Sean's outside if you want to carry on talking to him about Event Horizon. (laughs) (laughs) All that and more. At Sukarnov. And we're back. So Max uh, decides to help now. He sees a couple leaving the compound and being attacked. Uh, Max saves the man's life. Um, <laughs> sadly, the woman has a pretty <laughs> terrible fate. Um, and he enters the compound and meets the tribe, including uh, the warrior woman, who seems a bit like a precursor to Furiosa. And I think there's a few things we'll see here that are kind of um, foreshadowing uh, things that we'll see in Fury Road. Uh, he maintains he's just there for the gasoline, but I think we know deep down that he's going to help these people. Uh, and he meets the feral kid in the ground who attacks with a sharp boomerang. I imagine both of you are fans of the feral kid. Oh, yes, I am. I'm a big fan. Why did you think that? Because I'm really good with the boomerang or because I want to be really good with the boomerang. <laughs> you know that about me. What? what? Is that true? That seems, that seems like something that should have come up. Are you lying? Or do you really, you really lost after being a talented boomeranger? 
We have, it's a conversation I have with my children a lot because they see boomerangs and they think it's really easy. And we've had to disappoint them on several occasions where I say it's actually really fucking hard. And if I get you a boomerang, you're just going to throw it and it's going to just land in a field and you're going to be really disappointed. And wouldn't it be no, good? It's, to- it's not. You're going to be like the golden youth. You're going to have it in your fucking forehead. <laughs> I just want to be that cool mum that's like, watch this, kids. And then whack, boomerang, and it comes flying back. And then I'm a hero. But it wouldn't happen like that. I'm not even brilliant at frisbee as i'm sure you can imagine you see my thing with the feral kid uh, i don't know where this came from other than i think they look quite similar uh, as children i swore down as a kid that the same child actor who played the feral kid played the child in the children's tv show gentle ben you know the one with the bear oh the, the bear friendly- yeah yeah the everglades i thought they were the same kid and they i had nothing alike. up in it they look nothing alike. I know. And also one of them's Cliff Howard, like Ron Howard's brother, and it's not uh, <laughs> Emil Minty who plays the feral kid. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a big eye-opener for me. That's on me, though. Uh, but he's a tough little shit, um, the feral kid. He kills the twink and he kills the toady. So um, he's not – no, he doesn't. He takes the toady's fingers off. Uh, yeah. So he's not to be uh, messed with. But um, Humongous uh, makes them an offer. He says there's been too much violence, too much pain. Just walk away, and if they walk away from the, the the fuel, they will be offered safe passage. Do you believe him? Would he let them go? Do you think? What an idiot I... that woman is! What an idiot! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, when she's like, he, he promised a safe passage, and you're like, he's pretty much just wearing a hockey mask, and <laughs> he literally ten minutes ago murdered the last people who left the compound, and she's like, no. But his, his word's good. Is it? Is it good? Are, are you maybe wrong? I think you're wrong. <laughs> well, they only have one day to decide. And uh, as you say, it does cause infighting. And uh, Max makes them an offer. He's seen a rig, the rig that we saw at the start of the film. And um, in return for his wheels and some juice, he will bring the rig back so they can uh, drive away. So he wanders into the wasteland with four big canisters and retrieves the rig with the help of the gyro captain. Although he then leaves the gyro captain there. <laughs> not for yeah. the first time leaving the gyro captain. He's not really nice, this gyro captain, but the the, the, the the captain doesn't give up, does he, throughout this film? Um, and then we get a little bit of action because uh, it's, it's, it's been a while since we've seen anything of that sort. Um, he drives through the Marauder camp um, and we, we got some jumping from bikes onto cars and, and back again. And the, the gyro captain in his, is in his little chopper throwing snakes on them. Um, <laughs> And, the, and that guy gets his legs crushed when he's working under the car and it gets knocked off the bricks and it's like, <laughs> that's grim. Horrible. Uh, Max enters the camp and the marauders follow, but they can't really do much inside. But we do get Wes uh, jumping on a big pole to escape, which is something we'll see more of in Fury Road with the pole cats on the poles. Uh, then we get the Dark Knight of the Soul as they uh, prepare for battle. Um Outside, Humongous is stringing hostages in front of cars. Something else we'll see return in Fury Road. Uh, and the tribe asks Max to take the tanker, to drive the tanker for them, but he wants to leave. And he's told he's nothing. He's garbage. Um, even the gyro captain calls him a coward. But he refuses the call, which is surprising in this film because it's not very heroic. He just wants to bugger off. It becomes less of surprising as he does this in each of the sequels as well. <laughs> yeah. And I do think we find this story, it does get a bit repetitive, two, uh, two, three, and four. But the first time, I think it is quite surprising. Uh, do you not think that he he actually does? Yeah, I agree off? with it. 
I re- was really surprised because the way you could excise that and you could see the change that he comes to because he's convinced by the humanity that he sees all around him and the chance to be part of a family and, and all the rest of it. Um, but then he, he goes back because he has no choice because he's, you know, he's, he's destroyed. He's, is it the V8? He's destroyed or whatever. Yeah. Um, so then he goes back because he has to, because he's what he's, the, he's not about that connection. He's not about, um, the family stuff like, and he's, he remains quite inscrutable. And then even when you think he's warming up, so he sort of warms up towards the kid a bit, but then later on, he makes the kid do something that the kid doesn't really want to do. That is really dangerous. So he's, he, he isn't as human as you think he's become anyway. Yeah, I agree. It's weird, isn't it? Because it, I don't know if it really works because of the reason you just said, because he, he, he doesn't have any change of heart, really. Like you, don't, when he returns, it's like he's got nothing else to do, and it yeah. could be quite simply that he really wants to fuck up some of the marauders for killing like his dog and smashing up his car. That could be his reason for going. I'll drive the tanker because I think I'll kill some of them. Uh, like it doesn't necessarily mean he's discovered his humanity at that point. Uh, the the footage is speeded up when he drives out of the camp with his V A interceptor. How did you feel about? suddenly the, the the that footage he, he drops it to 12 frames per second apparently um it's odd or it's something because it's something he does a lot more of in fury road in terms of speeding yeah. up and slowing down the footage um here it was simply because um the terrain there prevented the cars from actually going as fast as they needed them to so we just made them go faster I don't mind it i'd i'd always rather see cars going faster on screen regardless of frame rate than going slowly yeah Fair enough. Uh, he gets knocked off the road immediately, though, um, which, again, <laughs> that's something we see at the start of Fury Road, him getting knocked off the road in the first two minutes. And then they kill the dog with a crossbow. I mean, thankfully, oh. it happens off screen, but it's still a dark moment. We've only had to do that once in the back garden. And that, was, <laughs> uh, that was the only fault. Uh, but, you know, that's the risk. When you enter the canine Thunderdome, that can happen. So, you know, that's why we have to make the dog's consent beforehand. Uh, and they, they leave Max for dead after his booby-trapped uh, gas tank blows, but uh, Gyro Captain rescues him. And at this point, I don't think Max actually deserves that rescue mission. Um, he's been horrible to the Gyro Captain. He's left them all uh, to fend for themselves. I don't, think he, I don't think he's earned that rescue. Yeah, but it speaks volumes about the Gyro Captain, though, doesn't it? Because he is doing it maybe just because he's a good guy. And mm-hmm. he's realised that actually he should help, regardless of who he's helping. It might have nothing to do with Max and some allegiance to Max. It's more the fact that he's doing the right thing. Mm. Yeah, that makes or- sense. Because for the payoff to work that's coming at the end, he needs a hero moment that's selfless. Mm. Mm. Or he knows that Max is their best chance still, and so they actually need him. Uh, but back at the compound, the compound, they come up with a plan, um, which seems to simply be go out and go hard. That's about the long and short of it, or at least we think it is now. Uh, Max is, is, is in trouble here. His eye is closing. His leg is even more buggered, but he wants to drive the rig. He says, I'm the best chance you've got. Um, and uh, we, we, we see what's happening with the Marauders as well. Uh, Wes now seems to be on a, on a chain, a metal chain that um, Humongous is holding. Yeah, because he's lost his shit after the Golden Youth dies. Yes. Like the Humongous can't even control him. He's off the hook. So uh, yeah, 
Um, I think it's supposed to sort of level up Wes as even more of a threat. Yeah. And so we're an hour and 50 minutes in, and this is when we get the iconic 13-minute uh, chase sequence, which is the film has been building up to. It starts with them blowing up the refinery, and apparently uh, that explosion was so big that they had to notify airlines in advance in case <laughs> of any jets passing overhead. And it is a big explosion that goes on for a long time. <laughs> it's incredible. I honestly... I've all, like. Of all the days I wish I'd been on any movie set ever to see any scene shot, I think that's in the top five. I would have loved to have been there to watch them blow that up because it is fucking huge. I don't think I've seen as big an explosion done for real in a movie. Yeah, for real, exactly. Um, And then we get Carmageddon um, or Carnage. It's uh, lots of cool stuff happens. <laughs> Sorry, that's tickled me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been work- I've been working on this. Um, that's fantastic. Thank did you. Did you ever play the video game Carmageddon? It was no. great. Oh, it's amazing. But they changed it. Like um, initially, like when you were driving around, there were loads of pedestrians, and the blood yeah. was red. They, they had to change it to green because it was kind of like. Mm, that's all I know about do. that game is that it was too violent. Yeah, yeah. It's really good, though. Um, So I I don't know how to describe this chase. Uh, Maybe so. I was going to say some of the cool stuff that happens in it. So you've got Gyro uh, Captain dropping fire from the sky until he gets shot down. You've got the mechanic setting fire to himself with a Molotov cocktail. But he seems pretty chill, even though he's Mm. burning up. Um, Literally on fire. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I <didn't> understand <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you've got uh, the, the leader of the, the, the tribe uh, takes a medieval battle axe in the back. Um, mm. You've got Wes climbing aboard the rig and then going over the mm. front, but popping back up because we know Wes ain't going to go down that easy. I remembered a lot about this chase. The one thing I don't remember from the last time I watched it is where Max slams on the brakes to the rig that he's driving and the car behind, which has, they're dead. Those refinery workers are strapped to the front. And when they slam into the back and the watermelon heads they've got explode, it looks like flesh exploding. That's great. I didn't remember that. Uh, but I mentioned continuity earlier. There's no continuity in this. Um, it's shot at the, the morning, at night, in the day, when the sun's day, <laughs> yeah. when the sun's coming up. But I don't. I mean, I certainly didn't notice until I read that, and, and then and then watching no, it, looking out for it. Because we, I don't. I think George Miller knows that George Miller doesn't care, and I think he knows that we don't care if what is happening on screen is exciting enough. Yeah, I, I noticed the change in, it was like dawn and dusk and there was a few, you know, as the sun risen or set, so where are we? But you just sort of explain it away to yourself. It's like, well, that's just how he feels. Like, that's how Max is feeling right now. Like, because you're so caught up in the action, it, it doesn't matter at all. And a lot of the sequence um, uh, in the highway chase, uh, the trucks weren't actually moving. Um, he, what he did was shoot on a tripod, which is placed on something called a Western dolly. Uh, which was moving on rough ground. And so the shaky shots, they called simulated travel. And this is a trick he's used all through the films. I don't 100% understand it, but it made them look like they were moving when actually they weren't, or sometimes when they're going at a very slow snail's pace. Um, It looks like a lot more is happening. Uh, You know, you mentioned the mechanic setting fire to himself. uh, one One of the big problems I have with this chase is that a lot of people die trying to stupidly save other people who don't seem like they need saving. Like when the mechanic sets himself on fire, the warrior woman goes to try and help him and she gets shot loads and then her body gets stuck on the side of the tanker and then he dies 
trying to save, I guess, her dead body from the barbed wire. I don't know if he doesn't know she's dead, even though she took three arrows to the chest. He's like, I better pick her up. And then he dies. And then Zeta, the guy who always reminds me of Mick Jagger for some reason, he dies trying to save the feral kid who's fine with Max in the cab of the truck. It's like these people are all idiots. (laughs) I mean, they are idiots, though, aren't they? I guess so. Yeah, I just... (laughs) It bothers me uh, a little bit um, how stupid they are in that I, moment. I, I was um, I was searching. Uh, there was some stupid stuff happening behind the scenes as well. I was searching YouTube for sort of behind the scenes footage, and I'll, I'll post this on our on our Twitter. But but one of the stunts, I don't know if you saw this footage, Alex, is by a guy called Guy Norris. It's absolutely horrifying. A film crew obviously. Oh, Go on. The flipping guy. The guy who flips off the motorcycle. Yes. Is that the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, yeah. It's, I guess they had a film crew down from, from Hollywood to film some stuff, and the, and the couple of days they were there, these two absolutely horrifying accidents happened. Uh, this guy was playing a, 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 a bike-riding raider, and he slams into a car, flies off his bike and smashes legs into another car and plunges towards the camera, and that wasn't planned. He was supposed to fly over the car. And he was just recovering from an, uh, a prior leg break and he broke his leg again in this. And it just, you, you watch the footage, which they use in the film, in this sequence, um, and yeah. you can't believe that he didn't die, basically. Um, yeah. It's nuts. It's a, it is one of the most iconic moments from the chase where he sort of spirals <laughs> towards the camera. But yeah, yeah. it's like the backstory is awful. So there, as you said, the feral kid is teamed up with Max at the front of the rig and then uh, Wes is, is on the front of the rig and then Humongous drives into the front of the rig, killing himself and killing Wes, but not hurting Max or the kid. And I can't help but think that Humongous did fuck all in this film. <laughs> <laughs> I have written here, what the fuck was he doing playing chicken with a truck? I don't understand what his what was his plan at that point. He goes... I reckon I can take it. I'll just drive straight towards it. It's 50-50. It's not 50-50. It's, <laughs> it's, it's 90-10 in favour of the truck at this point. Especially, especially, if control. especially if George Miller said he was a military uh, strategist before he had his accident. <laughs> <laughs> just infantry, though. Nothing vehicular. Uh, I could only... Uh, men. I dealt I do with men. Uh, so this is all new to me. What does this button do? Oh, God, I'm going very fast towards that truck. And um, I need to. I need. I need some clarity on this. Was did he? Did he just lose control, or did he just go nuts? Yeah, I think maybe. Was it a suicide mission potentially? Okay. Yeah. Because also he's got to expect that 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 the rig was going to explode as, as when he hit it because. We think he thinks, and we think that there's fuel on the rig. But when the chase is over and our heroes have survived, sand comes out of the tanker rather than fuel because it was a decoy. The gas was on the other vehicles, um, which actually they showed us coming from the tanker earlier in uh, the chase. But I didn't compute it. I don't think you do as an audience because there's so much happening so fast. Um, but this is the big reveal. So do you, th- do you feel like the tribe was screwing him over and, and was potentially sacrificing Max so they could get away? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, do too. I, 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 don't think, like, I don't know if screwing him over is, is the right way of looking at it because whether it, it, was, it didn't matter to Max or not, whether it was fuel or not, which again, I think he'd volunteered to help them drive this rig and whenever sort of the plan beyond that, isn't made clear. So I don't think it made much difference to what he was doing because they then they turn up after he's killed off all the marauders to pick up the feral kid, don't they? Yep. 
They do, they do, and then um, and then that's it. The tribe begin their journey north to a place in the sun. They become the great northern tribe. Um, the gyro captain becomes their leader, and then we find out that the voiceover is being done by the feral kid, who eventually becomes their <clears> chief. <throat> um, he says that's the last we saw of the road warrior, who now lives only in my memories. And and as Miller says at the time. Um, in 85, he said, Max is the kind of character that is doomed to wonder, always serving other things, serving a greater order. He himself will never be the leader of that order. So that's it. Any more for any more on The Road Warrior? I've got a fact for you. Ooh. Did you know there's a Mad Max 2 museum? Did you know this? Is it in Broken know. Hill? Yeah, it, well, it's in Silverton, which I think is around the same, like, I think they did some filming there. So basically, this bloke from Bradford saw Mad Max 2 and was like, that's fucking amazing. And he moved himself and his whole family to fucking Australia and set up a museum. Um, just well, in case you need Australia. Australia's nice. You might not want to live in Broken Hill. I agree. <laughs> it's just quite a long way to go to express your um, admiration for the second instalment of the Mad Max was soon to be quadrilogy. Um, yeah. So there's a museum. Oh in my god. Good- I call, I call, I call movie rights on this. We need to get in touch with this guy. This is a story moving your family from Bradford to yeah. Broken Hill to set up a Mad Max museum. This has got, this has got. We bought a zoo vibes to it. <laughs> does, the, does the apocalypse happen, and he's able to use all the in the film to protect his family? He, can, he uses all the weapons. He's really nice. He seems like a really nice bloke. And uh, I listened to an interview with him. And if you want his verdict, he prefers Mad Max 2 to Fury Road. But then he would say that because it's his whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Right. Let's do the bits. Uh, Victoria, what was your favourite scene? The 13-minute pursuit <laughs> of the armoured rig. I've got written down 13-minute chase. <laughs> yeah. Um, I knew you'd both pick that. Um, so I I have also picked the 13-minute chase at the end. Um, because but I think what's really exciting, especially when you go on to watch Fury Road, is you see like little things here that he's done on the four-and-a-half-million budget he had for this movie. And then you can see, like, what I think it was in the region of 180 million Fury Road cost, uh, something like that. And you see what that money buys you to do, like to sort of take your ideas from Road Warrior and um, and elevate them. Uh, but the other moment I picked um, was a really small moment that I actually did weep a little. Um, lockdown's made me very emotional. But the bit where he won't let the feral kid come with him and the feral kid puts his bag in the car and gets into the footwell and wants to go with Max when Max is oh, leaving for the yeah. first time, and he won't let him go. And it's the bit where he takes the music box and then throws it because he knows the feral kid will go get it. And the feral kid just sort of goes after it like a dog playing fetch, and then Max takes his bag out of the car. It's a really, really powerful moment. Oh, that's made me sad now. So when you rewatch that moment, and I'd forgotten it, um, but it's it's beautiful. Who's it's your... not as good as a thirty minute chase? <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, who's your most valuable whatever, Alex? Uh, feral kid, really fucking love that kid. I think he's great, um, and he has the guy Emil Minty hasn't really done much, but I do now follow him on Twitter. Uh, he, he tweeted uh, during lockdown, and the one before that was twenty sixteen. So it's not a big conversation. Uh, <laughs> that we're having. Online, but uh, yeah, uh, Victoria. 
Uh, the gyro captain, uh, big arc, grows into his role. His teeth are scary, but then by the end, because he's such a, a hero, you, you don't mind the teeth. So that's quite something. For you, it fucking is. You don't mind those teeth. No, it's amazing, isn't it? And even he's sort of romantically linked to that girl with the headband. And when that's first on the cards, I was like, oh, you got to kiss those teeth. And then by the end, I thought, oh, it's okay. You can kiss the teeth because those those incisors at the front, it's it's front like incisors are so big, and she's got quite a small mouth. Like she could literally. (laughs) Like suck on a single tooth and that's all she could get her mouth round. <laughs> that's what she's into. Fine. <laughs> Sex maze. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of both of your picks here, but I, I think someone should say George Miller because uh, this is obviously his vision. Um, pure cinema is what they call it. It's less about character and narrative and more about visual thrills and his commitment to the cause as well. He embedded himself uh, into the chase for much of it, including um, in costume as a passenger on one of the buggies so he could he could shoot the shit out of this film. So uh, God bless George Miller. And what would you change uh, if you could change anything, Victoria? It's only a little thing um, because there isn't much I would change about this film, to be honest. So when the... Uh, community are on the bus and they're going to paradise and it's real and it's not just the thing on the postcard that the, the the older man was waving around. I just would have liked a little shot to see how they lived as described by the feral kid all grown up, just to really button that happy ending. Like just a little shot of what their uh, living spaces were like or, or see paradise for real rather than on a postcard. But it's a tiny thing. Yeah, but doesn't uh, one of them earlier when he's showing Max the postcard... Um, his advertisement for this this paradise uh, is the only thing to do is breed, which is not like um, a particularly. I don't know. It sounds. Oh, sounds slightly... I thought he said breathe. B r e a t h e, not breed. It's breed. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh no! I think that sounds awesome. Um, uh, really? yeah, yeah, I don't know. Get yourself, get yourself to a sex maze. Leave the rest <laughs> of us out here with our decency. Uh, yeah, no, I, I find it. I find it just. Oh, I, that's really I think, upset I, me. <laughs> I think the shot that you're talking about is a lot of people fucking by the sea, Victoria. <laughs> oh, now I'm back on board. So fine. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it offers him a future of breeding in the sunshine on the Gulf Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Alex, what would you only say? thing to do is breed it's like from another movie it's horrifying <laughs> uh, right what would I change uh, so uh, yeah um, I uh, now uh, you're going to react to this in that predictable way of going oh bloody animals dogs but oh, I genuinely see, told you uh, um, I would genuinely like to see him mourn his dog's death a little bit more uh, now my reasoning behind this is quite sound. It's because I get that it works in the sense that he is so emotionally cut off from the world. That's how he survives. That the dog is just another casualty of this awful existence out there in the wasteland. But I think there's an argument for characters who don't engage emotionally with other humans having a quite a special attachment to an animal, whether it's like in a Western and it's their horse or here it's his dog. And I just think it would have been quite an effective emotional moment to see him broken up over dog's death. But isn't that the point of these Mad Max films is that he won't get emotionally attached to anyone or anything after the death of his wife and child? Which is what I just said. But I think, you know, I think... I guess I I get that vibe, but I do think you know I think it's a human. I think there's a, I think you draw a line between humans and animals, and I think you find characters like this 
sort of build a relationship with something, whether it's a vehicle, sometimes it's a car, like, or in this case, I think it should be the dog. I just would like to see him mourn it just briefly, like mm. hold its body or something before the film moves on. Fair enough. Um, mine is, I think it's a shame that Max is sitting in a chair for the duration of the climax. Um, so I would have liked to have seen him do a bit more. And also, um, this film is scored by Brian May, but not that Brian May. Um, <laughs> I, look, I looked it up. I got obsessed with it. I was like, it's never the Brian May. And it's like, listen to it. It obviously isn't. So I'd let, that, yeah. I'd let the other Brian May score it. I'd like to see what, this would, idea. I'd like yeah. to see what this film would be like with a rock soundtrack. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that on the Fury Road episode. But um, yeah. That it's, would be great if Brian May had actually scored it. Because I have, I have an original um, Mad Max poster uh, for the first film, which he also scored up in my hall. And someone once noticed it before I'd noticed it and gone, Brian May? Scored that movie, and I went, "Yeah, yeah, Brian May, <laughs> Brian May scored that from uh, from Queen. That's from right. Queen. Yeah, did you not know? Did you not know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was one of his first scores. Yeah, Queen were riding high in the charts, so yeah, they got <clears> to score <throat> the movie. Yeah, it was embarrassing. <laughs> right, do you fancy a quiz? Yeah. yeah, quick quiz, quick quiz. Ten questions on uh, Australia. How was your Australia knowledge? Terrible. Uh, sharks. <laughs> okay, let's go. Question one: What is the capital of Australia? Canberra. <gasps> it's Canberra. Correct. Point to Alex. Uh, swimmer Ian Thorpe won five Olympic gold medals, but what is his nickname? A torpedo. The... Oh, Correct. fucking hell! He <laughs> is the torpedo. Um, <laughs> in Aussie slang, what does it mean to have a bow peep? Asleep. Asleep. Oh, you both got. I think Vicky might have just edged it there. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want our listeners to get in touch about that. At, at Clashpot on Twitter, who said sleep first? Uh, you know, I'm not. Maybe your maybe your connection's better. Maybe it's your internet. But I know, I know what happened there, and a lot of people know as well. Uh, do you want half a point each? No. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, question. What are we up to? Four. Uh, what's the name of the chocolate biscuit whose ends you bite off to use as a tea straw? Oh, my God. I've no oh, idea. Uh, choco straw. Uh, bisque drink. <laughs> it's a Tim Tam. It's a Tim Tam. And you haven't oh, lived until it? you've drunk tea through a Tim Tam. Um, okay. Who sang? What a great idea! I can't believe they haven't brought that. Why is that not? A th- I I love that. That's that's that saves. I shouldn't be sucking on a Kit Kat. I was I, watching videos. I was literally watching videos of people doing that this morning. That's how my day what started. Amazing! What an amazing <laughs> invention! Um, who sang the iconic Australian song "Down Under"? Oh, oh the workman! The workman! The something man! The oh god! Oh! Oh god, they're called the men from the men from uh, down under. Yeah, that the men from down under. I'm, I'm going to need the correct name of this band. Why? All right. <laughs> uh, the, wor- the, the working boys. The answer is men at work. Oh. oh. <laughs> uh, all right, another food one. In 1890, Ern Shorty Bradley created a culinary icon in South Australia. It was a meat pie, often inverted, in a plate of thick pea soup with tomato sauce frequently poured on top. What is it called? 
Horrible pie. <laughs> the, the name is it's actually delicious worse. pie. The name is actually worse than that. <laughs> the, Shit pie. Uh, <laughs> you're so close. You're so close. I like pie. No. Uh, Shit soup. It is called. <laughs> it's called the pie floater. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awful. That's, uh, uh... <laughs> what Australian animal did the English think was a hoax? A the platypus. Correct, Vicky. Yes! Uh, British naturalist George Shaw <laughs> believed the Aussies had stitched a duck's bill onto a rat. <laughs> Fair enough, because it looks ridiculous. <laughs> what is the original I mean, tradition? You can, you can pick any Australian animal and go, fuck off, is that a thing? <laughs> like, if, you had never, if you'd never seen one, you go, a kangaroo, you're having a laugh. It carries yeah. something around in a pouch. An animal has a pocket. And a it's spider just that can eat a mouse? No, I don't think so. <laughs> what is... Oh, 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 something that only eats eucalyptus. That shouldn't exist. Have a bigger palate. <laughs> and it'll give you chlamydia. Yeah, that's if true. You have sex, <laughs> if you have sex with a koala, you get chlamydia. Yeah, yeah they're between it. koalas, they've got really bad chlamydia. So they, wow. they're not reproducing as much as they should because they've got STDs. It happened to one of that boy <laughs> band, didn't it? The big British boy band um, got chlamydia yeah. off a koala. Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, what is the traditional Aboriginal name of Ayers Rock? Uluru. Correct. And that's what we should all Damn be it. calling it. We should all be calling it Uluru, not Ayers Rock. Um, what was well, the which f- one should we be calling it? Uluru or Uluru? Exactly. Uluru. <laughs> what was the first film in Baz Luhrmann's Red Curtain trilogy? Don't know. Oh, the Red Shoe Diaries. You guys, you guys know these, don't you? The three films that Baz Luhrmann did that were sort of dancing. Australia and... Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, the Great Gatsby. That was great. <laughs> oh, uh, I thought you'd be fighting over this one. Uh, the answer is Strictly Ballroom. Is, is, it, is it Moulin Rouge? That was the third one. Strictly Ballroom yeah. was the answer and Romeo and Juliet oh, was the other one. fuck's sake. I knew that. It, exactly. I didn't, know he called, I didn't know he called it the Red Curtain thing, though. Uh, Red Curtain Trilogy. And finally, uh, when an Aussie tells you he's going to bend an elbow, what is he about to do? Have a Have piss. A <laughs> that was edifying for both of us, wasn't it? <laughs> Have a shit. Have a beer. Yes, have a uh, beer. Oh, fuck. Yeah! <laughs> oh, no. It is a tie. What? Oh, no. no. I can't, I can't victory for me there. Um, I'm, I'm going to claim it anyway. But thank you. What a great quiz. Another win for me. <laughs> so, right, uh, that's a tiebreaker. Uh, a tiebreaker. I've literally just come up with it because for once I forgot. Um, what, uh, who, closest wins? Uh, what is the current population of Australia? <gasps> Seven, uh, 30 million. Okay, I'm going for, I'm going for 32 million. <laughs> It's 25 million. Yes! <laughs> 662,201. Yeah. Victoria has won in quite oh. controversial circumstances. Yeah, I want, I want, I want a recount on that. We'll, we'll re-listen. Don't worry. That'll be, that'll be coming back to, uh, that'll be coming back as a discussion on next week's show. All right then, uh, Chris. Um, congratulations, Victoria. Chris, tell me, um, tell me this. Um, you are doing the clues for next week's show, and we are back to regular service. So these have come, these decisions, these movies have come from your mind. What is the clue for our pairing next week? 
Yeah, I will say we've gone back to regular service, but we got so many great suggestions that we will keep using suggestions every now and then. There's a big list of ones that we loved and we will drop them in as and when. So um, if you have sent in a, a suggestion or you still want to, you know, we will use them um, if we like them. So keep them coming. But uh, this is tricky, this one, because these two films are in slightly different genres. Um, so <laughs> coming up with a clue was not the easiest. So I'm going to give you a shit clue and then we'll have a better clue on Twitter when Alex and Vicky have helped me out a little bit. So the clue <laughs> well, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to hear this clue now. You've built it up. What is it? The clue is sex and drugs and rock and roll and disco and violence. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, you're right. That's a shit clue. What the fuck? That is like a million movies. But all right, <laughs> fine. All right, good. If anyone gets it off the back of that, um, oh, if anyone gets it off the back of that first clue, you should give them that prize we were talking about. You know, when you went to get your Mad Max DVD out and yes. you found something else. I have the Mad Max trilogy box set, which I bought around the time of Fury Road, and I got it down uh, to watch to rewatch them this time, and <laughs> went to pull out. The Road Warrior, and it wasn't there, but Robocop was there. And I have no idea how that happened. Uh, I think someone has pulled a fast one who I've lent it to, but because it was five years ago, I can't bloody remember. So you are going to give uh, anyone who gets uh, next week's pairing based on that clue on Twitter at ClashPod a Robocop Blu ray. Yes. And when, oh no, actually, <laughs> and it, to be honest, whoever gets it first, once we've done the better clue on Twitter, I will get it as well. So we'll, whoever's first. All right, whoever's first. Great, that makes it simpler. Uh, right then, we are back on Thursday to discuss Fury Road and find out whether it is the Road Warrior or Fury Road that is the better of these two films. That is Clash of the Title covering Fury Road on Thursday. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and indeed review us if you have the time, wherever you get your podcasts, and if you can rate and review us there, it is much appreciated. And uh, do follow us. Twitter, at ClashPod. Instagram, at ClashPod. Back on Thursday with Fury Road. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.